Welcome to the Conscious Clinician Podcast. We have honest conversations about the triumphs and challenges of pelvic health physical therapy. Each week, we bring you inspiration and practical tips to thrive in your work. And now, here's your hosts, Dr. Monica Stefanovic and Dr. Sammy Steele. Welcome back to The Conscious Clinician, everyone. Today, we are so excited to be joined by Dr. Tasha Darden, who is a pelvic PT and a birth doula. Welcome. Hello. Welcome. We're so excited to have you. Tasha, we wanted to ask you right off the bat, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your practice and what it is that you do combining these two really interesting specialties that you have? Yeah, definitely. So I've been a PT for almost 10 years, actually right at 10 years. I just It just passed in May. So about five years ago is when I decided that I wanted to delve more into pelvic health. It's something that I had an interest in in school, but we didn't really have a ton of lectures on it or a ton of opportunities to do more with it. But I got interested in it and wanted to start taking courses. And then about a year or so later, when I was pregnant with my first son, it became a lot more relevant to me with what was going on in my own body. And it also was looking for a doula to support me at my birth and realized that it was really hard to find a doula that looked like me. So I'm like, hmm, okay, this could be something that I could provide for others. And then just in my own journey, I got into birth work. So it all kind of sort of happened around the same time. And I've been doing that ever since. I'm very, very passionate about advocating for families all throughout pregnancy and labor and beyond in the postpartum period as well. I just created a community initiative program here in LA called Reclaim Postpartum. And that just aims at supporting Black mothers and families during that really vulnerable time right after birth where you have everybody on board when you're pregnant and even, you know, the early days, but then people kind of fade off and they may ask about baby, but maybe not checking in with you as much. And so just there to support the families in whatever ways that we can be that physical therapy, occupational therapy, mental health services, food for the family, help with other kiddos, anything that they may need just to support their mental, physical, spiritual being. So that's something that I'm doing as well. And those all kind of fuse and work together and just mesh really well. So that's in a nutshell what I do and, and other other things too, of course. So I love how all of it has aligned together, it, you know, your personal story coming into your professional story. And I'm curious what your week to week is like. I mean, are you doing pelvic health and then also being a doula currently? And how does Reclaim fit into that? Yes. So I do, I still work in a hospital setting and in a neuro setting in the hospital. So I do that. And then I see clients in a mobile clinic. So I come to them, which makes it so much easier for them that I can come to them. They don't have to worry about where baby's going to go or, you know, be worried with COVID and everything about running around to different places to find me. So that is really, really helpful for mamas. And I can fit my schedule with their schedule a bit better since I am coming to them. And it doesn't have to be like that nine to five that we kind of work in in a clinic setting. So that's super helpful. And then reclaim is very flexible because it really depends on the family's needs. So 
if I'm dropping off a food package or if I'm coming by to help with setting up nursery or whatever it is that I might come in and help for. That's just based on whenever is best for the family. So that can be any day and time. (laughs) So that's my schedule. It's very busy because of all those things and how they all work together. But yeah, that's my, my week is is unpredictable to say the least. <laughs> it sounds and, like yeah, it. attending births as well because that's unpredictable. That's just, you know, I'm on call, I'm sleeping with my phone, the ringer's on, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. And you're a mom. So that's yeah. unpredictable in and of itself, right? Two kids. Yeah. <laughs> Two kids. It's like birth bag is always in my car. And it's like, can you come out and do this this weekend if I am not at a birth? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> The caveat is that if I am not at a birth or supporting a family postpartum. (laughs) Right. So Tasha, how does your pelvic health practice and your doula practice kind of influence each other? Like what sorts of things have you learned from one that you carry to the other? And it just seems like they're so complementary. Yeah, I think that another thing that fits in with that as well is becoming a mom myself and thinking about what I needed has helped influence both of those practices. But to back up, as a pelvic PT, bringing in the knowledge that we have about the body, about healing, about recovery, about all the things that are super helpful to prep for birth and labor, and then the recovery period in that as well. It's just an additional bonus to my doula work because I do have that educational background that's very rich in all of the anatomy and things like that. So that's always super helpful. And I can give clients just some extra zhuzh when I'm explaining things. (laughs) Yeah. And it's kind of of cool, like beginning to end, I can be like, okay, you're starting out, you're pregnant. This is how you're feeling. This is how you're doing. This is what's going on in your body. I'm going to show you what toward the end might look like and how we can just set you up better. So I think what's helpful about it is that I can help people feel very prepared. You can't plan for every single thing because it is unpredictable. But having the knowledge and having someone walk you through things and empower you and give you the education and awareness of things, at least it's not your first time hearing it. So it's like, oh, bummer, we had a tear or whatever occurred in the birth. But I talked with Tasha about this. And actually, this is what we're going to do to work on it. And this is what we can do in therapy. And this is the type of support that I might need from family. And these are the type of foods that I might eat to nourish my body to heal. And this is the timeline that I'm thinking about for tissue healing. So it's kind of like everything all in one. I'm, I'm not just focusing on the physical body, whereas we might if we were just, you know, in the traditional PT, but I'm kind of a holistic and just everything that's needed. Where's your village? Who's going to help you out while you're healing up? Even if you had perfect birth, nothing happened, but you still need that support there. Mental health wise, are you okay? You know, and I always ask, how are you feeling mind and body? I always ask. Mm. Yeah. And how are you feeling in your heart? And so I can get to the root of things. So I just think they work really, really well together. One practice informs the other and I can give like a really well-rounded view of things and being a doula that has Education as a PT just gives me a little bit of oomph when we're in the birth room, working on different positions of, you know, quote unquote, labor is stalled, which I hate that term, but that's what they'll tell people, right? And I'm like, let's let's work on some quick positions here and get baby down and, you know, things like that, that I know really well as a PT about how we can move baby down or how we can kind of get things moving and grooving. So 
I think it just, one always helps out the other. It sounds so empowering. Like when you're describing it, I'm just thinking, wow, that person who is pregnant has like an 18 month view rather than like a nine month view with we're taking this baby out immediately, like one way or another, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. It always makes them feel just, just more prepared, just in a little more calm on the front end as well. Yeah. Reducing fear avoidance, reducing maybe catastrophizing because they don't know if what's happening in their body is normal or if they're safe to keep moving. That's beautiful. So how about the flip side? I'm curious as a pelvic PT, having worked as a doula and working as a doula, what your take on birth trauma is. And I'm leaving that really open. I just want to see where you go with it. So I feel like it's not a technical definition, right? It's it's really how do you feel about your birth experience? So someone may see or talk with you about your birth experience and say, oh, medically nothing went wrong. Like it must have been great, but you could have been feeling the entire time like I didn't have space to talk or I wanted to move and I was told to stay still or I wanted to eat and they told me not to or there was a check done on me that I didn't consent to. So really it's the birthing person that defines if a trauma occurred or not, I'll say. And it really has to do with your reflection and perception of what occurred. And it could be that things looked on paper good or it looked not so bad, but to you, you're just like, wow, what just happened there? And so I can use myself as an example, actually, my first birth with my first son. And, you know, on paper, it was a vaginal birth. I went pretty fast after my water broke. I was able to move in and out of different positions. But when the doctor went to, as soon as she saw his head, she kind of just pulled him out instead of allowing the body. The body kind of does this thing where it needs time to stretch, right? And circulation and all that stuff is at play. And it's allowing for the head to kind of come through and people call it the ring of fire because it is, it's a little, it's a little, you know, painful. Uh, Just a tad. I feel like you're downplaying that, but okay. (laughs) Your body naturally allows time for your body to kind of open and stretch what it needs to, to get the head out she sees the head and kind of yanks him out. Mm. So what's funny about it is that at the time, there's so much going on that I was just like, he's here, he's healthy, I'm healthy, we're great. But I still remember the sensation. Like automatically, I can think back how I felt the lights, people around me, just everything from that moment. So that's a little bit of a, a trauma that I have where I'm like, that feeling, that not pausing for me, not allowing mm-hmm. what's natural to take place, right? At that point, he's we're both okay. There's no emergency present. But she's kind of like, all right, uh, we've been here since midnight, you know. So it's an example of somebody who might be like, oh, that can't be, you know, as bad. But in my mind, I'm like, okay, I definitely remember every sensation, the sounds, the feels, like I said, the bright hospital lights, everything about the room. And so for me, that's something that I had to journal about, talk about, reflect on. So it's, 
yeah, birth trauma, it's person to person. It's how did you feel? Did you feel Mm -hmm. like you were empowered in the situation? Whether it went the way you wanted or not, because we can't control every aspect, but as the situation started to unfold, how did you feel? Did you feel like things were being done to you or did you feel like you were a partner in your care? And so that's my not so short, but you know, my the quick and dirty of how of how I of how I see it and how when I go to debrief with clients, when I go to their postpartum appointment, because I always see them within a week of the birth. And then also I have postpartum doula services as well. But if not, and we're just doing birth doula, I I talk with them about that and we kind of work through it. And so that's where I start with that conversation. And how do you bring that up when you have the client coming to you for pelvic PT and you weren't there with them during their birth? So when I go to do an evaluation, I have you know, my form. And that's not something that I have technically on the form, but in my asking questions relating to how they answered, you know, did you have to push? Because if someone had a cesarean, I'll still ask, was there a pushing phase? Because we all know that's important, right? And and then when I get done with my questions about the birth, then how do you feel today about your birth? And did things occur the way that you envisioned and everybody has things that they would tweak and and it just starts the conversation well you know it was sort of okay and and is there anything that you would have changed about how you were made to feel or the way in which you were able to make decisions or how are you feeling today looking back versus how you felt that day you know just kind of opening it up in an easy way very open-ended questions I'm not saying well when they did the vac you know because that's very nothing confrontational, but just very, how are you feeling about it? You know, and I'm able to kind of see body language shift and eyes and, you know, they're kind of, well, actually, and and a lot of times it's the first time anybody's asked the question because a lot of times it's very much, are you and baby healthy? And that's where the conversation ends. Or people will blindly ask, tell me your birth story not considering that that might be something very sensitive. Hmm. Do I never yeah. do the tell me your birth story thing, right? Mm. Um, and so it's just very much just let's reflect on your birth. How do you feel about that? How did your partner feel or whoever was with you? Were you allowed to have someone with you? What's your take on that? Do you want to talk more about that? just very open-ended, just to give them a space, not to project anything onto them. Well, it looks like everything went great with your birth, you know, or Mm -hmm. wow, this, a lot happened there. None of that stuff. So just removing bias and and things like that from that is helpful as well. Yeah. It sounds like you're really trying not to lead them anywhere, but just get a sense of their experience and their story. Yeah. And I just want to take a step back for a second. And first of all, thank you for sharing part of your story. And it was interesting how when I was listening to you share that, I had so many echoes of different patients that I've worked with over the years. And there's always this sense of like, I'm not allowed to feel traumatized by something that happened to me. Even this justification of like, well, we were both healthy and I guess it it turned out okay, but, you know, it's kind of this, there's always this little, but something could have been better about it. And I think we are so conditioned to just say like, well, everyone's healthy, you're fine, quit complaining. And ignoring the fact that trauma is very subjective and personal. 
and it's defined by the person, like you said, and anything can be traumatizing. And a lot of times in this situation with birth, I mean, there's so much going on that there can be a lot that's traumatizing about it, even if everything ended up okay. Yep. So I think that was just really powerful. And I, I even noticed that as you were speaking and, you know, I think we're just so conditioned. Yeah, for sure. And especially, you know, people are just like, well, the it could have been worse or mm-hmm. the competing. Well, so-and-so had that happen and at least you didn't have that. And it's like, we're not in competition. <laughs> yeah. If it was the slightest thing, then that's, that's traumatizing to me, you know, and that's my experience. And and that other person's experience is theirs. And we both can feel that way. And it doesn't take anything from me or take anything from them. And just because baby is healthy and thriving, and and if I'm okay, then I can still have that feeling about it. And, and that's all right. It's not one or the other, right? So that's, yeah, just giving people this space. It's okay, you know, to feel and to to think back and to reflect and, you know, you don't have to do the, but cause then it's like, well, aren't you grateful? Of course. And I still felt traumatized, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. Either or. You know, now he's outside. He was kicking my butt in the womb. Now he's kicking my butt out here, but you know, I'm grateful <laughs> for him. he's lovely, but I'm never going to forget that. You know, it's, it's, it stays with you. Mm-hmm. I like the reframe of not saying what's your birth story, but coming at it in an indirect, open way just to see where they are so that we aren't re-traumatizing people who maybe have compartmentalized it to just try to get through those first few weeks. They're in pain. Their body doesn't feel like themselves and they're here for help. You know, we don't have to go right into it. We can see from their demeanor something's not okay. We can read the body language and know, hmm, you know, maybe in the future when we have some more rapport, we can circle back to sure. this. But, you know, relationships are healing and we can help them heal by creating a new supportive environment where they set the pace rather than saying, you need to heal your trauma by telling me about your trauma right here, right now. And that'll move yeah. through it. And it's like, what? No. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. It's, exactly what you said is true. And that's what I love about being a physical therapist is just the way that we can provide that space and just the amount of time we get with people. I know every Mm -hmm. profession doesn't get that one-on-one time we get. And that's just something that's so special about what we do. And we can really build good, solid relationships with people. And it is very healing, like you said. So that's always really nice. I'm curious to actually take a step back because I didn't know what a doula was for a while as a pelvic PT. And I realize we're talking about how great it is that you're a doula and a pelvic PT. And I'm sure some of our listeners are wondering, what is a doula? What do you do? And probably what your training was to become a doula. Okay. Yes. So a doula is going to provide physical, emotional, mental, spiritual support for the person. They are your fairy godmother. They are your support. They do not replace your partner. Just so everyone knows, my husband was very like, oh, so you're going to have someone else with us? Because this is before I became a doula. And I'm like, yes, this is like an 
extra, like some extra love and hugs in there that we're going to need. And so it's just a person that's there that's for you. So when you are in the hospital, even if you're at home birthing, even if you're in a birth center, people in the center are or the hospital are ultimately there to protect the interests of where they are, where they work. When you have a doula with you, they are there for you solely. So it is whatever you need. That's different for different people. So you may be there and you may be like, I want to just move through this space on my own. And I just want you to put on the music that I need and give my partner a break while they rest and you're just with me. Or actually, I need hands-on. I need a massage. Or actually, I need my essential oils. Or actually... I need a little bit of a snack or I need just some reassurance. It's really fluid in that it just depends on what that person needs at the time. So that's what I think is really beautiful. And you just, you become very attuned to your client and who you're working with. And you talk in depth about what helps you calm down. What, what's maybe triggering for you that we may not want to do. Some people, a lot of touch is not what they need. And then some people are like, it's very soothing and calming for me to do that. I remember during my birth, my husband was in charge of the playlist because he's a very musical guy. And when Push It came on, I was just like, why are we doing this? No, so it really just depends on what that person needs. As far as training is concerned, I did do a workshop to train to be a doula. And then afterwards, you will work with families and have them fill out paperwork and the doctor or midwife will fill out paperwork. And you'll also work through breastfeeding courses and you'll work through literature and things like that. So it takes a span of time to be officially certified. There's lots in the doula community right now of issues with some of the main organizations doing a little bit of gatekeeping that kind of keeps people in black and brown communities out and it makes it difficult for them to get certified and certain hospitals are saying only people from certain organizations are allowed in and things that I do not agree with in the sense that we don't want anybody birthing alone, right? So If I have to say I'm your auntie instead of your doula because this hospital is like, you need to be from this organization, then I'm going to do whatever I need to do because I don't want you by yourself. So Mm. while I think that training is good in the sense that it really gives you a foundation and a groundwork, you should always be building and learning and it should never be anything that's like kind of casting people out, if that makes sense. So just like we do continuing education and physical therapy, doulas should always be learning and adding to their toolbox. And that's what I like to do as well. So yeah, that's kind of that. Did I miss a question? I feel like there was a that was great. Okay. (laughs) That was perfect. When you were describing what a doula does and, and how your husband had that response initially to you bringing that up, I was so reminded of an interview that we did with a maternal mental health therapist named Catherine O'Brien a few episodes ago. Uh-huh. And she was talking about how your partner can't be your only source of support because they're dealing with their own emotions and it can be a really stressful time for them too in different ways. And so it's so helpful to have that third person or to have that web of support 
where you're not solely relying on your partner when they're also going through their own stuff. And I'm hearing echoes of that in so many different areas. Yeah, you have them who's taking in, oh my goodness, our family is growing. This new little person is coming. And then also my partner's there and trying to get this baby out and whatever they're going on internally and then whatever's happening, what may be occurring and their feelings and, you know, birth can go on for long periods of time. So they may get fatigued and need a mental break or need to step back. And so, yeah, it's also always nice to have that just extra support. And then I feel like a doula too, you, you know, when people make their birth plan or preferences, however you want to word it, uh, my doula kept me on track. She kept me, you know, remember Tasha, we talked about this because you do get very vulnerable during birth, obviously. And you may momentarily forget, I didn't want to be on my back. I didn't want to be pushing on my back, but you're just so tired and you're just so, you know, and you may forget, or you may just feel like, okay, whatever. And so it's nice to have that person, you know, as long, of course, as long as it's safe to be like, you really didn't want to be on your back. I'm here to remind you, like I said, that fairy godmother here to just remind you of the things that you wanted and to help you and to just create the, the best environment, the environment that you wanted and that helps you feel safe and secure throughout that experience. So that was really nice too, because that actually happened with me too. <laughs> yeah. So your doula is a person who can hold a sacred space for you while you're birthing essentially. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Wow. It's really Sign really, me up. It's special. It's I'm going to fly out and I'll be your doula. <laughs> well, you know, I love one thing you you said was in our pre-interview we were talking about how important it is to have a doula who you feel comfortable with. And you mentioned an access issue. You mentioned gatekeeping issues. We know that there are maternal health disparities that are unequivocally out there, research proven, that exist in black and brown communities. Yeah. Um, I guess what is my question in this? I'm not sure if there is a question so much as there's an emphasis on how important it is that we have more providers that look like more of the people out there Yeah. so that they can trust fully. Yeah. And also it's... I really wish insurance covered doulas. I do. I wish insurance mm. covered them. There's becoming more awareness around, you know, some people don't even know to look for, but I think nowadays it's starting to become more commonplace and, you know, people understanding that they can maybe do birth in different locations or maybe use a midwife instead of an OB and doula work as well. But I just wish that it was more accessible, but financial access is a barrier. And a lot of times people say, well, my insurance doesn't cover you. So, and I always feel really, really bad about that. And that's part of the reason why I created the program that I have now, because with donations and with money that I pour into my program myself, I'm able to offset some of the costs and be like, actually, I can take on that family and it mm. won't cost them anything or be very minimal to them if anything, so that they don't have to birth without a doula if they don't want to, so that mm -hmm. they have that and they don't, it's not another stressor on their brain, how they're going to come up with funds or what they're going to do. So just having that support in the birth, it's really, really important. And so I just wish that everyone could access that. And so I'm just hoping that things start to change in that direction. I really, really am. I'm seeing a lot of 
other programs pop up and, and things like that. And that makes me really, really happy. Like I said, I do wish insurance would get on board because that would just be awesome, right? If they could just even half the cost or something like that. And then people would just see it as more of a reality for them instead mm-hmm. of maybe counting it out just because it's not something that that's included or covered. And then they may think, well, if it's not covered, like maybe I don't need it. And it's like, oh no, we definitely need support, right? And there is research out there for the support. I, I recall learning from other doulas that, and seeing the research myself, when somebody feels supported during birth, there's a 25% reduction in birth time. Oh, absolutely. You know? And their outcomes are better. Yes. More satisfaction with birth, shorter labors, less interventions, better bonding with baby, less probability of having a cesarean or forceps or vacuum. APGAR scores are better for kids. Breastfeeding initiation and breastfeeding success rates go up. Perinatal mood disorders are decreased. And a lot of that probably has to do with dissatisfaction being decreased as well. So it it all flows together, right? Maybe if we framed it more as a preventive thing, right? If we show them how they could, everything's money. It's so frustrating, but it's like, you know, how do we show that this is what needs to happen. And we will have less on the back end of trying to pick up the pieces if we could just really get in that support during the prenatal period and during the labor. Insurance companies, listen up. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're in a healthcare system that is still reactive, you know, and this is a proactive preventative approach. And if there's one thing that we do pretty terrible, it's usually preventative care until we've seen enough damage over time to say, oh my God, we should do, you know, jump programs for people with ACLs because they've been re-tearing them for so yeah. long. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, we're in that space right now where we're seeing these maternal outcomes. We're seeing how, even though we're such an advanced technologically you know, rich country, our maternal outcomes are really not that great. And there's massive disparities. And I think we're starting to see that wave crest, Tasha. I I wonder if you're feeling that too, but I feel like we're just starting to enter that. Yeah. It's things are starting because I feel like our generation is very vocal and speaking up more and talking more and connecting dots and being like, listen, we're not going away. We're going to talk about this. And I do really appreciate that. I think, too, one big thing that I would say bothers me is they like to say this outcome is happening because of race. And it's like, actually, it's happening because of racism, not Mm. the same. So when I live in a food desert and I don't have access to healthy food readily, when I have a higher incidence of diabetes and hypertension because of years of trauma and stress just cumulatively in black and brown communities, right? So physiologically, there's changes that happen in our bodies because of cumulative stress over the years and years and years. And they've done research on that, you know, and so access to prenatal care, not what it needs to be. Not being believed when you say you're in pain because some medical schools are still teaching that Black people experience pain less than other people. Not true, right? Mm -mm. So when I go in and I have a concern, it's like, oh, she's fine. You know, and it's like, no, actually, I'm not. And I'm not being believed. And then things are escalated. Or hypertension that's unchecked and becomes preeclampsia. 
-hmm. and then becomes something scarier, which is a patient that I have right now. So I think I want more doulas and birth, and but I also want the root issues to be addressed too. And that's racism, right? Not saying, oh, it's your race. And it's not even income and education level because they talked about how even when they corrected for income and education, there was still that three to four times difference between white women and black women as far as death during either pregnancy or birth related things. So that's something that it's it's heavy, but it's necessary to talk about. And so things have to change from all aspects. And that's something that's going to take time. But our conversation and just the conversations that I'm hearing and the people charging forth, I think it's I think it is going to start to hopefully turn around. I want to emphasize what you said. It's not race. It's racism. Because that's the way it's taught, right? That's what you see in the research study. These races have issues with X, Y, Z. Yeah. But why? You know, is it really genetic? That's the privilege of not even having to sit with, well, why does that race not have access to it? Or why do they continually have these types of outcomes? And it starts on a micro level with us asking ourselves those questions and becoming educated and changing the way that we approach care. And then it comes through in the macro when there's enough of us all working towards that same goal. Yep, for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. This topic is making me really think of the discussion that we had around obstetric violence as well. Yeah, And around how that can be perpetrated at higher rates against black and brown women during birth. And so I'm curious Mm -hmm. for you to comment a little bit more about what is obstetric violence and how does it affect these communities? Yeah. So what's happening in even just going to the the OB for your, your checkups, but also during birth, what's happening a lot of times is there's not consent, there's coercion, right? And so they're not asking permission. They're not giving all the information that needs to be given before something would occur. And they are, you need to get this cervical check because X, Y, Z, and we're going to do it right now. There's no, this is why I'm doing this. This is what's helpful. This is what I've seen. How do you feel? Are you comfortable with that? And so they're giving you this emergency, you must do this, you know, I'm the authority, you must listen to me, okay, whatever I need to do for my baby. And people have no idea that they can ask more questions, they can ask for time, they can say no and decline, right? So am I okay? Is my baby okay? Is this an emergency? Can I have a couple minutes to process this? Always, right? Mm. But it's very, I'm the authority, I make the decision, you're in a very vulnerable place. And it's, it's very difficult. So like the example that I gave of the cervical check, that is a form of obstetric violence, if that's something that you don't want to happen. I have a friend who was in labor and was told that she was getting a check, and they went in and actually broke her water. Not okay. Not Mm. okay. That's obstetric violence. If you, for example, wanted to birth in a different position and it's not an emergency, 
and they force you to birth on their back, where when you're on your back, they are more in control and it's easier for them, okay? But for the birthing person, gravity's working against me if I'm flat on my back. My sacrum can't move if I'm flat on my back and pushing uphill, right? So things need to be where the person feels with their provider that there's a sense of respect, safety, and trust, and that they're able to make an informed decision. If you can't make an informed decision, it's like you don't have a decision at all, right? Mm. So an acronym that I learned recently along those lines is FRIES, right, for consent. Freely given, reversible, informed, enthusiastic, and specific. So I might say yes, but if in one minute I'm not okay with that, I can take my consent back and I can say no, right? Also, like I said a couple times, it needs to be informed. Why are we doing this? What is the reason for this? Is there a reason? Is it, can we just do nothing and wait? Is that okay? Or what would ha- what are the benefits? What are the risks? What are the alternatives of what you're trying to do? So when those conversations don't happen, when that space isn't given for that person to to make those decisions and make those calls and get that information, then that's when obstetric violence happens and it's rampant. And people don't even know sometimes that it's happening to them because they've been made to feel that the doctor is always right. The OB is always right. The midwife is always right. And that they need to listen to the authority, even when their gut and intuition is telling them, "Ah, I don't feel good about this. And that's enough. You don't need a research paper. It's your body. It's your baby. And like I said, if you are in an emergency, they can let you know you're in an emergency. And in that case, you can make a decision. But you're still, even in an emergency, allowed to make a decision. Mm, So I think that's not well understood because they don't want that power dynamic to shift, right? It's much easier for them. Put her in stirrups, put her on her back, do this, do that. And it's like, mm. even when you'll say, oh, can I be in different positions when I birth? Well, we'll see, but it's really best for you to be. And, you know, things are very geared towards the convenience of them. Hmm. So that is the hill that I will die on. I'm very big on, on that. And so it's just, it's something that's very, very important to me. And it's something that I think. I work through with my clients and I'm not there to be like the bulldog and over talk them. And I would never do that, but I will whisper in their ear and say, Hey, you can ask for some time and I will do that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And so I do a lot of education in advance of the birth so that when things come up and if they were to mention interventions or things like that, they have an understanding and it's not their first time. So that that creates a sense of empowerment as well. But the violence that occurs in the birth room, like I said, even in the prenatal appointments and things being done to people that they're not consenting to and that they're not wanting and that they're saying, I'm not okay. Baby comes out and, you know, I don't, you guys have heard, I'm sure, of the husband stitch. Yeah. Disgusting, yes. right? Ugh. Make it a little tighter down there. It's like, did you talk? To, did I say that I wanted that? It's so painful when you get a tear and they're sewing you up. And we all know they have to sew you up to repair the tissues. But the whole, oh, let's make that a little like that is not okay. A form of no. obstetric violence. That's yep. another example of that. 
Absolutely. That is just crazy misogyny. I mean, to to focus on the partner and do something to my body that my partner, how do you even know my partner wants that? Like what? You don't even understand tissue heal. Anyways, sorry. I am about to like go off. That's (laughs) not the point. The point is I hear you advocating for trauma-informed approach to prevent trauma in the first place. Yeah. And then, like you said, be present for our patients afterwards, reduce our risk of making their experience worse or inhibiting yeah. their healing. Yeah, definitely. And that yeah. power dynamic is is so that's still the way we're taught in school, isn't it? In it is. every realm. Not just not just in the birth room, right? Any healthcare encounter has some flavor of that it like, does. patriarchal, like I know it's best for you dynamic. Yeah. And why would we expect pregnant women to have this empowered response when that's literally our conditioning forever? And now on top of it in the birth room, you're scared for not just yourself, but for your baby. Yeah. Yeah. And they'll make you feel like, well, if you don't listen to me, well, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen if I do listen to you because you're making (laughs) decisions that are good for you, you know? And I, what I really heard you say was like, we can't empower people by telling them that they're empowered. We can only empower people by holding space for them to actually make a decision. Absolutely. You know, and they need to know what that decision entails. What does it mean to say, I do, maybe they do want to go along with what the doctor, but they're going to make that decision from an informed place. And that's very different than making a decision out of fear, right? Mm -hmm. And out of being coerced. And so that's the difference. And that will color their experience as well. You know, things went this way and it was different than what I thought. And I had to make this decision, but I knew that it was the best decision for me because of blah, blah, blah. And so I am, and it'll, it'll completely shift how they feel about everything with the place that it came from, that they made the decision versus uh, she told me that I might go home alone if I didn't. And it's like, let's not, you know, so yeah, I get very fired up. (laughs) As you should. (laughs) Yes. Yes. There's too much fear. There's too much fear that's brought into consent. So I love what you said about fries. Yeah. Um, you know, that enthusiastic word is so important because sometimes I think early on I learned that gaining consent was like telling them, here's the thing I'm gonna do to you, and them saying yes, which is exactly what you're describing. But consent isn't that consent is even seeing like where are they willing to go yeah and then okay let's be at that place or let's talk about what might happen if we don't right and for us it's low impact pelvic pts we're rarely doing anything life-threatening life-altering we can always slow down which is a great point we can always slow down your internal exam might not ever need to happen to help someone with pelvic pain But in this situation, when you feel vulnerable and you don't know and you don't have a medical background and your health literacy might already be low and this person that you believe is already of a higher power, knows everything, lords over you, you're going to give in. You're going to do what they need to do. And I've had so many patients who have said, I didn't know I could say no to an episiotomy. Exactly. Mm. 
What would happen if we started by saying we are partners in your care? My opinion or what I have to say is not more important than what you feel. What would happen if we started that way, right? Well, they're scared of it, Tasha. The whole system, the whole system would lose its shit because you'd have people coming in here and saying, "No, yeah, no, or not. That doesn't work. Your your eight to five policy doesn't actually yes. work for me. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take my time and labor here and do this. And you know, and labor is just one subset of it. But right. it's not neat. It's not 24 hours. It's not you know, it's so fluid. And I want to say the word feminine, because usually we think of feminine as the more not linear time based, more like feeling based. And, you know, how do you attach salaries and schedules? And, Hmm. and it's like, we'd have to shift the whole thing. We'd have to rethink the way we even approach their care. And, Are the systems willing to do that? And right now the answer is no. It's just these individual providers, these little pockets, you know, this doula and this midwife that you find that you can, the two of them make that team for you. But the whole system is not, is just terrified of what would happen, but only good things would happen. It would be chaos in the short term and amazing in the long term. Yeah. Yeah. I just, my dream is I'm like, okay, what if, I could convince these hospitals that they need a PT in the birth room. <laughs> like, let me just weasel my way. I mean, I can't be everywhere, but how cool would my PT dual effusion in the birth room, like, how could I get that to? <laughs> and you be part of the birth team, right? Yeah. Like- yeah. Just like we have them in skilled nursing facilities, the PT is part of that team for you that rounds on your birth. Why are we not rounding on your birth? Why do we not have psychologists? Why do we have, I am here to pull the baby out of you for 10 minutes and then I'm gone and I'm your OB. It's like, what? Yeah, totally. (laughs) This isn't a drive-through. This is the creation of life. Can we have some appreciation? That's the thing I was shocked by. I was like, your doctor will be here now that the baby's almost coming out because they want to yeah. be the one to them out. I'm like, the nurses were with me the whole, you know? It's, <laughs> the like, I know them more. That really, yeah. that really, like, when you said that, I was like, that's how it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't like that. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yes. And then the lack of postpartum care. I mean, three pelvic PTs in a room, we could just go off about this. But oh, like, yep. man, are you <sighs> kidding me? I was just saying this to someone else the other day. So people get regularly referred to PT for meniscectomies, which will literally heal on their own in yeah. a matter of weeks, no matter what. Like, yeah, if you just leave it be. <laughs> yep. If you just do your thing, you'll be fine in two weeks and whatever. But you might deliver a baby, literally a baby, through your vagina or through your abdomen, which is an even larger surgery that cuts through everything. Yeah. And we're like, you got it, girl. Like, you just yeah, it's been know, forty-eight be hours. Everyone has problems after sleep. that. Yeah. <laughs> what? Oh. Ah! Okay. And it's we like have to say it. Six week appointment. Yeah. 
Yeah, and most problems postpartum are happening very early on. Six weeks is completely arbitrary and stupid. And we acknowledge this. The American Academy of Obstetricians and Gynecologists have said six weeks is kind of pointless. Yeah. And we're still doing it. Yeah. They actually came out and were like, actually, we were wrong. And they're still, it's still being perpetuated. With my first son, I had postpartum depression, right? I knew that something was wrong well before six weeks, but because I wasn't going to be seen, I just sat there and kind of suffered for a while. And that's so a long time. I think that's the part of the problem. It's like, you're going to see her. In- so I'm like, does that mean that it might go away? I had no idea, right? Mental health is not my specialty. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'll wait to talk to her then, you know, and you're struggling and suffering and, and even with physical things too. And you know, different complications of birth and stuff that feeling like you need to wait, feeling like, and I wish they would even be like, if they were going to keep this ridiculous six week appointment, please call me if there's any, please, or I will call and check in on you or I, you know, something that makes you feel that it's okay to contact them if something comes up or whatever. Cause I would have maybe called at three weeks and been like, I don't feel normal. But I was like, she said to come in at six weeks and then you get there, they look, they do a pelvic floor exam, which is not really a pelvic floor exam. They look, they check the tissues, they give you a little form to fill out to determine if you have PPD and they're like, bye, you can have sex. Have sex? Can't even sit. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm depressed. Like, what do you want? There's so many things wrong with that. I don't know. Are you guys starting to hear any patients tell you that they have OBs or midwives that are seeing them earlier than that? Like things nope. are sort of- <laughs> I would say only for my my patients who have had midwives and postpartum doulas. And okay. like I have personally made it my mission to tell every single pregnant patient about a doula slash you have birth options. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I have not heard any any OBs. And I mean, even though ACOG released this, we know it takes 10 years for something to become standard clinical practice. They also just eliminated bed rest this year. And we're like, hey, y'all, sorry, bed rest literally doesn't help prevent nor reduce the risk of any of these things that we've all memorized that you're supposed to do it for. It's like, it doesn't help. But we will still continue to see hundreds, millions of people, unfortunately, in this. So takeaways from today? I mean, could you could you give us a few takeaways for pelvic PTs? On a like birth related. related. Yeah. Yeah. So very, very important that you let your clients know, like what you said, that they have options. You can let them know about doula work. You can let them know that if they aren't comfortable with an OB or maybe want to check into a midwife, work with them on Anything pelvic floor related, any issues that they're having before they're even trying or in early pregnancy, start working on those ahead of time just because it will obviously help them so much for labor. Talking with them in advance about like how we talked about tissue healing so that they just have realistic expectations possibly about that. Letting them know if you're not specializing per se with wanting to see postpartum women, let's just say you're not technically doing that giving them resources for someone that is and letting them know the types of things that are quote unquote, I don't want to say normal, but what's optimal and what's not optimal after baby. 
as far as that early window, of course, you're losing fluid, you're losing blood versus when does it start to become a concern? And that could be just anything about how they're healing up or if they're having leaking or, you know, feeling heaviness or pressure in their vagina or anything like that. As far as what we know about complications of birth, just giving them an idea about when it might be a great idea to come in and see a pelvic PT or just telling them, hey, let's let's set up something where you come in at X amount a week, whatever you think is appropriate. And I may sign off and say, you look great. Or I might say, let's see you for a couple visits. I think, I think that's always good if they kind of have it in their mind ahead of time that they can see one of us before they even need it. It feels better if, if I know I might see my pelvic PT before I give birth. It doesn't feel like something's quote unquote wrong with me that I need to see them, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. What else? Just encouraging activity. The conversation that I had here today about consent versus coercion and just just starting the dialogues with them and letting them know as much as you can from what you know to educate and inform them on that. I think those are just great places to start. And like I said, just a really good resource list of postpartum doula, lactation consultant, just resources that mental health resources, for sure, for sure, for sure, I'm always going to say things that just set them up for success all the way throughout and not just everything heavily focused on the pregnancy part, but Mm -hmm. also just postpartum as well. Because I feel like things start to drop off a bit and that's when they need a lot of support as well. Excellent. You've given us a great overview of the things that can be done with doula work leading up to birth and then also the support that can be provided afterwards. Tasha, thank you so much for all of the great info today. We'd like to next jump into our lightning round, which is more fun questions for you. Our first question is, what is your favorite drink at the moment? What kind of drink? (laughs) That's open to every guest's interpretation. Okay, matcha is what I'm having every morning. And if I don't have it in the morning, then I'm making the iced matcha and I love tea. It's my favorite. Very awesome. Nice. What kind of tea do you like to drink? Matcha is probably my number one. Number two is Earl Grey of any kind, any mixture. Like I love it with vanilla or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm into the herbal teas right now. Ooh. Yeah. Do you like, yeah. Do you like herbal chai? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Or also like very fruity teas. Oh. Like hibiscus, like peach. Like I love those oh, at the yeah. moment. Do you ice them or always hot? Always hot, but I should ice. I'm in Texas. It's oh, so yeah. hot. We gotta get <laughs> awesome. What is the best book you've read lately? Ooh. Like an oldie but goodie is I love The Alchemist. That's mm. one of those that I always come back to. Yeah. So I'll read that like once or twice, you know, every couple months. Yeah, and you always get something new from rereading a favorite. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. What is the first thing that you do in a challenging situation? Ooh. So nowadays I pause because I used to be very driven by my emotions and I would kind of act too soon. So now, and I think this as a mama, I'm like, okay, just take a second, Tasha. You know, and when I just take a minute, I usually approach things a little bit better. So just kind of a pause, a little rest for a second, just to check in with myself before proceeding. Awesome. If you weren't a PT or a doula, what would you do for work? Ooh, I like this one. 
okay, when I was young, I wanted to be a paleontologist. So I would say. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first one we've gotten. Um, yeah. a paleontologist. All right. <laughs> yeah. Be super cool. And my son's like all into fossils and all that stuff. So now, so I'm like, guess what? Mommy, like almost, I'm like telling him I almost became how far did you get into that <laughs> yeah he's a little too little probably to ask follow-up questions yeah. but <laughs> yeah. he's like trying to pronounce it he has no idea he's like what is oh <laughs> I love it and last question for you how do you define a conscious clinician Ooh. Hmm. so we learn so much in school and We know different protocols and methods and procedures and things to do, but a person that can kind of use the art part of what we do and and lead with their heart as well when they're treating and combines that. And it doesn't always have to lead with, well, the research says, or this is the the perfect proper, you know, technique to use, but kind of has a mixture of the two. And I think that just gives a well-rounded clinician. Mm, Love it. So Tasha, if people wanted to get in touch with you, what are the best ways for them to follow or find you? Okay, so on Instagram, I'm physiodoula and my email is thephysiodoula at gmail.com and my website is www.physiodoula.com. So those are going to be the easiest ways. You can find me on Instagram though, often posting. So that's a way to kind of see what I'm doing on a day-to-day. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for coming on, for sharing your passion for birth and postpartum and caring for birthing people. We loved having you on today. Thank you. It was so nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Let's keep the conversation going on Instagram at The Conscious Clinician and Facebook backslash The Conscious Clinician. Links are in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review for the podcast to grow our community. Stay conscious, everyone.